Welcome to The Sipping Point, where each week we explore the recipe for a delicious life. I'm your host, Lori Forster, the wine coach. It's my mission in life to demystify wine one glass at a time, so expect a fresh and fun approach to the world of wine, food, and so much more. This week on The Sipping Point, we're talking to Steve Burgess of Burgess Cellars, one of the founding wineries of the Napa Valley. We're going to taste three of his world-class wines and then find out how he and Chef Chris Furrier of 2100 Prime work together to create perfect pairings for the Capital Wine Festival. Then Brendan Doerr, bartender at B&O Brasserie, will join us to talk rye cocktails and give us the details on this year's Rise Up fundraiser where you can taste cocktails from the best bartenders all over Baltimore. So as we start every show, we have our sips of the week and with me to taste these wonderful wines that we're going to feature this week is Steve Burgess. He's the vintner at Burgess Cellars, one of the founding fathers of the Napa Valley, if you will, of wineries. His father, Tom, was there when it all happened. But Steve, as the vintner, and he's going to explain what that means in a minute, didn't always work in the family business. He went to Cal Poly and majored in agricultural systems Woo! <laughs> with a marketing certificate, and then went out into the world of wine outside of his family, but now is back in the business with even more enthusiasm and probably a lot more knowledge about all aspects of the business. Welcome to the show, Steve. Good afternoon, Lori. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, well, it's an honor. I mean, your winery was there when it all unfolded in the Napa Valley as we know it. I mean, you know, we all know that area for world-class wines, but back in the 70s, most of the country didn't really, or the world for that matter, know and respect the great wines that you're making. So tell me about that. Yeah, sure. We're what part is what's called the the class of 1972, (laughs) or the class of 72, if you will. And uh, before then, there were only about 20 wineries back in the Napa Valley. And a reason for that is there were hundreds of wineries in the Napa Valley in the 1800s. And then Prohibition from 1920 to 1933 wiped them all out. Only about six survived. Not good. (laughs) And it actually affected America's food and wine culture. Uh, Prohibition did. And it took a long time to recover. Coincidentally, uh, my dad, who's a, a pilot from Ohio, Akron, Ohio, uh, got to see the world uh, in the early 60s and got turned on to the concept of, of the European model of food and wine. So he was ahead of the curve. And uh, Americans, as they started to travel to Europe on vacation, because jet travel also allowed that for, you know, kind of middle class Americans for the first time in our history to go to Europe for the week or two, um, they got turned on to fine food and fine wine. And so that gave my dad the courage uh, to start a winery back in 72. That's and, amazing. And again, there was only about 20 small family wineries in Napa Valley. Now there's 450. Wow. So we're, you know, we're in this old stone winery built in the 1800s by Italian homesteaders. And it, it's one of the more genuine and authentic properties in the valley. We've got three vineyards now, too. So three very different terroirs or exposures, climates. And we're able to, to source fruit from all these different areas. Uh, when I say I'm a vintner, that yes. means I do a little bit of everything. So I drive trucks in the harvest. I'm on the wine making p- tasting panel. Um, we uh, I come out here and I and I present the wines, you know, to people. 
uh, kind of like, uh, what, what do you call yourself? An edu... Uh, edutainer. Edutainer. Yes, so I, I, I do a little bit of edutaining myself, which oh, is, which is kind of fun. And I'm also the plumber, welder, electrician, carpenter for the place. MacGyver. So, yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the wine, we have three of your wines in front of us, and these are going to be our three sips of the week and available at uh, Wells Discount Liquors. On yeah, York down on York. Road. Yeah, yeah wellswine.com. The first one that you brought while we're chatting, let's uh, taste the first one, which is your 2008 vintage Merlot. And tell me a little bit about this wine I already have smelled, which is 80% of the process, but also taken a sip. It's delicious. Tell me about your, because Merlot for a while got such a bad name, but now it's back, or I don't know if it ever left. Tell me about your philosophy with this wine. Sure. Well, our first uh, Merlot was actually 1973, so we've been making it for quite a while. And then Merlot is a very finicky grape uh, to grow. Uh, fortunately, we have a vineyard, which we call the Trier Vineyard, down in Yontville. It's less than 100 feet elevation, deep gravel, alluvial soils, very cool. It's under that, that marine influence fog layer that we get out there in the Napa Valley. And it's the perfect spot to grow Merlot. About 80% of Napa's Merlot is grown within a couple miles of that vineyard. You get too much farther south, it's too cold. You get too much farther north, it's too hot. And I'm talking like five miles. It's it's wow. very, very finicky grape, which is why it earned such a bad reputation 10, 15, 20 years ago, is because um, these big, bigger wineries were just growing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's a finicky grape, and so you get bad wine. And, of course, there was a movie or something that came out that gave <laughs> uh, Merlot sideways. a bad reputation. Yes, yeah, sideways. And... Um, and that shook out all the all the rookies. And so now if people are still making Merlot, they're probably growing it in the right spot. Now there's a lot of bad Pinot. Right. I know. It's it's <laughs> flip-flop. And I love yeah. the uh the nose and the little bit of hint of mint that's mm-hmm. on this. It really uh is amazing. And then on the palate, of course, you've also got that blueberry and your and your blackberry, your fruits. Yeah. Uh, but it's amazing to me. A lot of people talk about Merlot being wimpy. But I did some classes at the CIA out there at Greystone, and we did a blind tasting with Merlot and Cabs together and with Karen McNeil, and we had to pick out which was the Merlot and which was the Cab. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is there are so many well-built Merlots that are built for aging that have a little bit more body and have, you know, some of that nice structure of tannin that it's not always clear which was the Cab and which was the Merlot. So not every Merlot is tutti-frutti. Sipping wine. This is a serious, amazing Merlot that you would want to age and or have with a, a nice steak as well. Oh, yeah. Chefs love this wine. It's uh, It's got plenty of structure, flavor, a uh, nice core of dark black cherry flavor with a little bit of that kind of strawberry, boysenberry, vanilla character, and a, and a hint of mint. There's some eucalyptus I trees near the vineyard that, that add that character. Great. Um, and the uh, it's got some mouth-watering acidity to it, too, which just makes you crave another sip or crave some food or crave something. That's that's why chefs just love Burgess Cellars is because um, we make them look good and they make us look good. It's a very symbiotic relationship. I love that. And Chef uh, Furrier is going to get on here in a minute. We're going to talk about that that relationship. Yeah, we this, did a great dinner the other night. I so, heard. It, yeah. was, it was a sellout. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about the menu. But the second wine that we have here before we go to break is your Syrah. And now tell me a little bit about, I know the Merlot from the Yontville. How do you differ uh, where you're growing the Syrah and making, 
you know, and if people don't already know, a.k.a. Shiraz people, <laughs> same grape. Tell me about your philosophy with your Syrah. Well, Syrah is actually, uh, unlike Merlot, it's successful in a variety of climates. And that's why you might hear things like cool climate Syrah or warm climate Syrah out there um, at the, the retail shelves or in the restaurant wine list. And um, it grows everywhere from the northern Rhone to the southern Rhone, uh, all very successfully, and it just manifests into a different wine. Uh, our Syrah is a very dynamic wine, meaning it's it's versatile. It's got hillside warm climate Syrah in it, which gives it a really generous fruity character. Um, lots of, uh, you know, like black and red fr- fruits like uh, blackberries and raspberries and stuff. And it's also got some cool climate Syrah in it from Yontville. Uh, which gives it that kind of structure and backbone, and there's a little Grenache in it too, which gives it uh, kind of a strawberry uh, in the mid palate. Yes. So it's a great cocktail wine. It's great with barbecue. It's a great bistro wine. We call it our Mediterranean wine for Mediterranean food. Grilled, even grilled fish um, and meats and veggies are just fabulous with this wine. Great, and it's delicious. Let me remind everybody: the Merlot is twenty four ninety nine, twenty five dollars. That's such a great value, and the Syrah that we just tasted, both. 2008 vintage. The Syrah's $28. They're available at Wells Wine. Check them out at wellswine.com. We'll be right back with Chef and to taste your last wine, the Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Discover the recipe for a delicious life each week on The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, each week, Saturdays at noon on WBAL 1090 AM or at WBAL.com. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point, and we're back with Steve Burgess of Burgess Cellars, but we're also joined with Chef Chris Ferrier of the 2100 Prime Restaurant, which is located at the Fairfax at Embassy Row. And what I love is that Chris was born in barbecue country, Kentucky, actually, but then he grew up in New Jersey. So barbecue with an attitude. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it. And being from New Jersey, I always love when other other people are here. You graduated from the Culinary Institute of America and worked at some amazing properties like the Lodge at Pebble Beach, the Boar's Head Inn, the Hyatt Regency Hotels. But now at 2100 Prime, you're bringing all that experience along with your love of local and sustainable foods. And you got to collaborate here with Steve for the dinner that just happened at the Capital Wine Festival. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Well, we're just getting ready to taste the third wine here, the Cabernet. But before we get there, when you are, you know, approached to do a wine dinner like this with these amazing wines, where do you start? Uh, literally start by getting a hold of the wine. I know research. It's terrible, yes. isn't it? <laughs> Well, we do a lot of research, um, look at a lot of history of where the wine came from, um, but most importantly, getting a, getting a bottle in hand and just sitting down with, with the key players and literally just running to your head what's going to go with it and mm-hmm. also what will potentially contrast with it as well. So sort of uh, brainstorming with the staff, with all of the selections, coming up with your ideas. And then do you do a test run? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and, and for doing it for so long, um, you know, you just, you, you have memories of, of what potentially will, will, will work well together. Right. But it's always good to, to just reinforce that by doing a dry run. That's why I ask, because I always love to do that if I can with my events, because sometimes, you know, little things here and there, you're like, ooh, I didn't expect that. Right. Yeah. The dry runs are good because you get to fail. <laughs> um, and then improve on that. Um, you can't be successful unless you really try it out first. Right. Yeah. 
And real quick, tell us about your philosophy for the menu at 2100 Prime. Just in general, if you come in any day of the night, what can folks expect? Sure. We literally try to do uh, as much local food as we can. Uh, For example, we do a lot of farmstead cheese. It's from Virginia, Maryland different goat cheeses. We also uh, DuPont Circle Farmer's Market. The hotel's right around the corner from there. We will go every Sunday and literally just pick out product and it'll be on the menu for three or four days until we get to go to the farmer's market again. Perfect example, uh, Virginia lamb we use on the menu right now. Uh, We still use uh, as much as we possibly can is Maryland rockfish. Great. Well, we just tasted the Merlot from Burgess and the Syrah. Now, the third one we had here that uh, I just savored here is your Cabernet Sauvignon, which is what many people associate with Napa Valley as a grape. So real quick, Steve, tell us about this wine. And then I'd love to hear about how you uh, created some great pairings for that. Well, our our Napa Cabernet Sauvignon is actually a fairly unique wine. Only 4% of California's wine is from the Napa Valley. Of that, only about 10% is from the hillside. So if you do the math, this wine here represents 0.4% of California wine. Wow. It's a hillside Napa Valley Cabernet. and it, Or even less, because I doubt it's 10%. <laughs> but um, it's it's really got great varietal character, meaning it tastes like it's supposed to. There's no prune or raisin characters. It's just dark currant and cassis and black cherry. And it's got five different grapes in it too. It's Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, and Petit Verdot. And so that's where we get the term, you know, complex, meaning mm-hmm. it's got a lot of different flavors. And the cool thing is you'll never get bored with this wine. Every time you try it with every different food you try it with, you'll pick up on something new. And so uh, that's what's so exciting is is sometimes you'll taste, you know, one thing like with duck or something. And sometimes you'll try something else with some lamb with a bunch of herbs on it and everything. And it just brings out things into your your threshold. Um, and and it's um, it's interesting every single time. Right. And your vineyards, as I was researching in the Howell Mountain. We're, AVA, we're 200 right? feet away from the Howl Mountain AVA. The Howl okay. Mountain AVA starts at 1,400 feet, and we're at 1,200. Great. So um, we're Napa Valley is what we can legally say on right. the label. But honestly, Howl Mountain up higher, they get frost. We don't. We're on the side of the hill. Nice. Um, and we're three weeks ahead, too. So even in a cool year like 1998 or 2011, we got perfectly ripe, mature fruit with no rot. And... Um, in the cooler climates, they get frost and fog. They have a big problem. So it's actually a, a really unique area that just has a blanket name on it, Napa Valley, yes. which is a good name. Well, we love that name. <laughs> and yeah. so given that you have these three uh, amazing Napa Valley wines, tell me about the menu. What did you decide to do, for instance, with this cab, which can go so many different ways? Oh, absolutely. Th- this menu was really unique that we did was because we used um, – we have four different reds on the menu. Uh, so this cab was, was chosen as a second course. And, um, you know, as we just alluded to, it, it goes great with anything. So, um, you know, it could have been duck. It could have been anything. So, well, um, of course, we wanted to try and stay not necessarily local, um, but every you can see chicken everywhere. Uh, you can see duck everywhere. But not everybody has pheasant every day. Mm. So kind of interesting was the next course uh it's a it's hardier so we wanted to try and stay in the middle of the road so we chose pheasant and the pheasant's actually from uh, a sustainable farm it's free range pheasant farm in texas um 
so literally we uh, broke down the whole pheasant um, and we brined it. Uh, so it's just simple. It's olive oil, salt, pepper, some rosemary and thyme. Put it in a brine, um, not really a liquid brine, and it, it was in a brine for two days. Let it dry, and then we literally just pan seared it, roasted in the oven, made a great uh, black currant glaze f- for the top of it. So mm. slow roasted. I bet um, that was delicious, right, Steve? It was incredible. Okay, I'm living vicariously through you guys. Oh, he nailed it. <laughs> We actually used uh, and then and to to match it as uh, we used Cabernet uh, risotto and we used the cab in the risotto. Wow, very very unique. And then we ate we added uh, instead of traditional Parmesan cheese an aged uh, Gouda um, to add some creaminess and a little bit little different depth to it besides a salty Parmesan. So it was very very awesome. That's very decadent. Of course, this great Cabernet Sauvignon is thirty seven ninety nine retail, which is. Uh, for this quality, a really great value, and to use that in risotto, chef. <laughs> oh yeah, and the only reason our wines are priced the way they are is because we got in in 1972. If I were yes. to start this winery today, instead of when my parents started it, the wines would cost a hundred bucks. Wow, based on land costs. Steve, tell folks if they want to check out your winery, and I get emails all the time, people taking trips to Napa and they want to know where to go. Where should they go to find out more and think about coming to visit you? Sure. Well, our website, BurgessSellers.com. And if you want an appointment at 2100 Prime, how do we go about doing that? You can actually go to CapitalWineFestival.com. Well, Steve Burgess and Chef Chris Ferrier, thank you so much for being on The Sipping Point this week. This has been so much fun. I wish we had another hour to do this. So uh, congratulations on a successful wine dinner and more to come with the Capital Wine Festival.